Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So this morning, we're going to continue our our series, uh, Citizen, basically unpacking what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And uh, it's interesting, a a few weeks ago, um, Travis and Kyle and I were up kind of here together and and, uh, doing some talking and answering some questions and kind of working through some stuff. And and what's interesting is that uh, one of the comments I made as as we started was, was I said, uh, I leave for a week and I have to come back and fix Travis's mess. And people laughed and stuff like that. And it's interesting because saying that statement, people interpreted the meaning of that statement in different ways. If you know me at all, and, and you, 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 what you'll notice, one, one of the big differences between Travis and I is Travis thinks about his words that are coming out of his mouth. I don't as much. Um, and, and, so, and so, like, I said that as being funny and joking because the reality is that uh, there's, there's probably no one in the world that I would trust more with biblical exposition than Travis Edgerton um, that I actually personally know. Um, and, and it's interesting because, because there's a couple of people who, who made a comment from, that they said from my statement, they said uh, that, that, you know, that I felt that, I, that you know, we needed to, uh, I needed to like clean up after Travis, which is funny because that's just probably not ever the case. Um, but what I started thinking about, because this morning we're gonna be looking at uh, really our book, the book of the kingdom of God, the Bible, that which God gave us. And it's interesting because in relationships and when it comes to God's word, it is interesting that there is a statement or something said and then there is an interpretation of that or a, an assigned meaning that isn't always exactly what was meant or said from the initial source. For example, I don't, I, do you guys, if you're married, you probably don't experience this because, but in, in my marriage, there are times that I will say something or Sherry will say something and it will be taken completely the wrong way. And most of the time it's something innocent and just whatever it is, my filters and my interpretation, I just go way sideways with it. And it was actually a compliment and I took it in some weird different way. And, and we do that all the time, but the reality is that, is that when we run into those situations, what we tend to respond with, we say things like, that's not what I said or that's not what I meant. And sometimes, sometimes we, are, we, you know, we, we maybe say things and we don't use the right, the best words for those things. Sometimes people just take what we say and they go, you know, often in like left field. And it's interesting because one of the, one of the questions I, I think that we run into um, as believers is how is it that, that, that even believers and even churches can have the same Bible but conclude completely opposite things about the same exact passage? Things that don't even work in the same universe. And, and so really, as, 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 as citizens of God's kingdom, we, we claim that the Bible is the source and authority on how we think, on how we live, and, uh, and how we go through our lives. However, I think looking at how we tend to think and live and how we walk through our lives, it makes one wonder if we really believe what the Bible says. 
if that's really true, that we really do see the Bible as the authority. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting, um, one of the ways that we describe, that has been described over the years to, in church and in, in different Christian circles is, you know, the Bible is our instruction manual. You ever heard that before? The Bible's our instruction manual. And I thought, and I started thinking about that because I've, I've concluded that I think that's a terrible way to describe the Bible. And here's why. How many of you have ever bought something that you've had to put together at your home? Anyone? Okay, how many of you have thrown away the instructions and do it your own way? There's more than the hands were raised. I know that for a fact. And it's interesting because we tend to say, you know, I don't need this or we don't understand it, so we kind of push it off the side and we do things our own way. Oftentimes, I have to buy two things that I put together because the first thing is irreparable after I've put it together. And then I know how to put it together right. And, and, and so really, I think, I think in a lot of ways, we treat the Bible that way as an instruction manual that we see more as something that gets in the way of what we want to do or how we want to live rather than actually look at it and say it's authoritative in, in my life. And, and, and so really, the question that I would ask you to consider this morning, and, and, I, and I would say be careful not to be too quick to answer it, is this. Are you really being shaped by what the Bible says or by your culture? Are you really being shaped by what the Bible says or are you being shaped by your culture? And when I say that, and, and when I say culture, it can include the culture, like our, our global culture, our national culture. It can be the culture that we, we talk about how, how, how terrible it is and all that. But I'm also talking about like our individual culture of the, the bubbles that we've grown up in and the things that we've determined that maybe aren't necessarily even biblical, but we've been shaped by those things. And, and so I think it's important for us to really have an honest look at ourselves and ask the question, am I really being shaped by what the Bible says or by my culture? Maybe my cultural interpretation of what the Bible says. And so obviously this morning we're gonna, we're gonna kind of do a, a, a kind of a, a little bit of a dive into really what the Bible is as it relates to the kingdom of God. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna take a, like, I wanna go in history just a little bit and, and Hopefully, many of you will be familiar with this. How many of you learned how to spell the Bible in a song? Okay, we're gonna do that. I don't know if this is a good idea, probably a terrible idea, but we're gonna do this anyway, okay? So I don't wanna do this alone, so everyone needs to, to join in with me, okay? All right, so I'll start, okay. Everybody ready for this? Okay, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, yes. Now, I gotta be honest, the first service, there were some people when they said, I stand alone on the word of God, they stood up. So they did way better than you guys. <laughs> like, they represented our nostalgic history way better. Um, <laughs> but if nothing else, early on, if you are at all growing up in the church or a Christian family, typically you learn how to spell, at least learn how to spell the Bible, if nothing else. We might learn, not learn as much about following it well, but we certainly know how to spell it. And, and so really, the, the Bible is something that is very unique. It is it is, it is one of a kind, it's like nothing else ever written, but there are some pieces that it does share with, with other books. Um, the thing that's most unique about the Bible, the Word of God, 
is that it, it is inspired by God. And this idea of inspiration is this, this theological term that basically says that the Holy Spirit directed human writers so that the finished product, the Bible that we have, is exactly what God intended. And that's not true for any other writing in all of human history, that we really only apply that idea that, that the Holy Spirit directed, guided, uh, moved writing of, of each book in the Bible, that that is only applied to God's word, the Bible, it's not applied to any other books. And, 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 so, and so really the Bible is what God wants to reveal to us about himself, about the world, about the nature of things, about how we are called to live, about how he has done what is unthinkable in giving the life of Jesus for our salvation. And, and, and so really, when we, when we look into scripture, what scripture says about itself, in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says all scripture is breathed out by God, that idea of inspiration, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Later, the apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1, he says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone owns interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so scripture testifies about itself that it is a unique writing, that it is unlike any other book. And, and so there's really no other book in, in the same category as the Bible in its creation or its character. Therefore, it has to be treated to some degree in a class of its own. However, the Bible was written in human language. We need to be able to read it. We need to be able to understand it. We need to be able to meditate on it. So it's written in human language. And so there are some things that, that, that we approach the Bible. There's, there's an approach that we take. And, and so really, there was three original languages in the Bible, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And what's interesting, as of September 2020, the entire Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation has been translated into 704 languages. That's in September 2020, that's the entire Bible. Now there's portions of the Bible, like maybe the Gospels have been translated into another language, but as a complete word of God, it's been translated 700 into 704 languages, which is pretty incredible. And so really the Bible being written in human language and, 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 and having, uh, having a, kind of a literary piece of it, there, there's, there are historical and literary rules that we can apply to the Bible in our approach to understanding what God is revealing and communicating to us. Because God communicates his eternal truths uh, within the particular circumstances and events of human history. So, so God wants to communicate clearly with us and so he has given us his word. And so literally, we need to understand and ask the question, what is God saying? What is his intent? What is he saying to his people? And that takes a bunch of things into consideration. For example, genre. You don't read Proverbs the same way you read the Gospels, because Proverbs is poetry and wisdom literature. It's wisdom sayings. The Gospel is narrative. 
and, and, and it tells the life of Christ, where you've got the Pauline epistles, where those are letters that are written to a church and we only have one side of the letter conversation. And so they're, they're letters written for churches and they have a lot to do with what those churches were going through. We have historical narrative, we have prophecy, we have poetry, we have, we have uh, all kinds of different genres of, of, of literature within the Bible. And so we need to understand that, that we wanna look and understand what the, what the Bible's telling us to do. When you look at narrative, historical narrative, like in the book of Acts, one of the questions we have to ask as we read Acts is, is this prescriptive or descriptive? So when it talks about what the early church was doing, is that simply describing what the early church was doing or was that prescribing what we should do for all time as believers in church? And so there's some, there's some of those things that we do. And so the Bible is, again, it's unique among all books, but it can be understood confidently through proper natural and supernatural methods. You see, here's, here's the one thing about the Bible that's different than anything else is that, is that we can take our natural approaches and we do need to apply natural approaches with integrity to the Bible, but we also have to recognize that we will not quite grasp the depth and the significance of God's word without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the supernatural part, that the Holy Spirit needs to work in us to come to a place to truly understand and accept and be submissive to and surrender to the teachings of scripture. And so really, the, the question again that, that, that I raise is, is how, how is it that maybe our church that claims to believe in the Bible and another church maybe down the road claims to believe the Bible, but we read the same passage and we have literally opposing conclusions to what that passage is saying. How is it that, that you can, we can have the Bible and that be the case? And really, that, that's probably a, a, a simpler answer, and that is how we approach the Bible versus how maybe another group of people may approach the Bible. You see, as we approach the Bible, our church, the churches I grew up in and, 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 and our approach to the Bible is called grammatical historical approach, which basically says this, that the author had a fixed meaning, that God had a fixed meaning, that he used language to communicate and that language is rooted in historical and cultural meaning which we can discover through actually interacting and studying the text. Now there's other approaches to the Bible. For example, there's an approach that says that God, God revealed his, his scripture and, and the Bible was written in this context at this point, but because we are way over here, that we use our culture and our development to apply and reinterpret the Bible to, to our time and our systems. So that the Bible is kind of a moving, the message of the Bible is a moving target. So that, that, that we'll maybe interpret it today different than maybe the Apostle Paul understood what the Old Testament scriptures were saying because we're so far in, in the future and that the Bible really isn't connected to something specific that it was teaching, but it was something that kind of slides over time. And that's where you can end up with completely different ideas of what the Bible means when, when we read a particular scripture or passage. See, there's a, there's a, there's a term 
called exegesis, and that's how we approach the text. And exegesis simply means this, is that we take the Bible out, or we take the meaning out of the text itself using solid and honest methodology. There's a word eisegesis, which means we put ourselves into the text and find the meaning. So exegesis means that you look at what does the Bible say and, and what's going on in, in the time that that was written, and you say, okay, so what, what, is this, what is this saying? What does this mean? And it means kind of what it means because it was written in the intent of the original writing of that, that text. As opposed to saying, well, I read this here, but my life and experience say these things, and so I'm gonna actually let myself be reflected in and be really the point of the text rather than pulling things out of the text. I will put things into the text. And so again, the way we approach scripture is, is pulling out what scripture says, whether we're comfortable with it, whether it is difficult for us, or if it's, if it's a little bit confusing or challenging. We, we accept what the Bible says. And so, and so really, the idea here is that God alone reserves author's rights to the Bible because he is the author of the Bible. And author's rights is this idea that, that only the author has the right to the meaning of what that author wrote. So for example, like I, if, if I wrote a letter to someone 10 years ago, and I wrote a letter and I, and I said certain things, and then 100 years from now, that letter is found and people look at that letter and they say, well, I, I see what this letter says, but with where we are today, this is what I think this means. Now, that's a little bit offensive to me because I'm the one who wrote the letter. I meant certain things in the letter. And for someone else to say what I meant by the letter, I'm a little bit offended because I'm the one who wrote it. I don't want other people putting other words into my mouth. And, and so really, God has those author's rights to the Bible because God's the author of the Bible. And, and so there, there's a handful of things that I, that, I, that I wanna walk through some scripture this morning that God has said about his word, that God has said about the Bible and, and that is binding for those who are part of the kingdom of God, who are disciples of Jesus, these things have to be true for us because they govern how we interact with God's word. And the first thing is that, that God the author says about the Bible is that it is true. There is a pervasive truthfulness in the Bible. Psalm 12 verse six says this, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. Later in Psalm 19, verse seven, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise even the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Proverbs 30, verse five says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. 
In John 17, when Jesus is praying for those who would believe on his name and receive him as savior and king, all the way to, to, to even to us, when he's praying to his father, he prays this, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus himself refers to the word of God as truth. Not only is the Bible true, but it is also sufficient for us. It is enough for us to live our lives, to, 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 to develop our thinking. See, it's interesting that, that while maybe all Christians are eager to embrace the Bible and to treat it as, as a precious possession, I think few are willing to give it the preeminence that it demands. People tend to read and obey the Bible on their terms, expecting it to govern only what they allow it to govern. And yet the Bible demands that we allow it to be sufficient to address all areas of life and practice, whether evangelism, our spiritual growth, guidance, social reform, justice, or discernment. In, in 2 Timothy, again, 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, to reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped for every single good work, its sufficiency. In 2 Peter 1, verse three, Peter says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, that you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 1 Corinthians 4, verse six says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. That not only is the Bible sufficient, but we don't need to add anything to the Bible. The Bible's enough, and, and that's a pretty, pretty big thing that we tend to add things to the Bible that we think are more important, and that we, we kind of sometimes take the Bible to a further extent than it is because it works for us or our preferences. James chapter one, verse 16 says this, do not be deceived, deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And, and, and so we see that scripture describes itself as sufficient for us. And then not only that, but the, the, the word of God is powerful. 
Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse two, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In Jeremiah 23, 29, the prophet writes, it is not, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces, the power of God's word. And finally, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him whom we must give an account. No wonder why the world is not excited about the authority of the Bible because it lays us bare. And, and, and so finally, the, the, the Bible not only is all of those things, but it's also finished, it's complete. Revelation 22, 18 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Jude 1, 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. When we try to change what the Bible says, then we, are, we stand under condemnation. Deuteronomy, for to Moses writes, you shall not add to the word that I commanded you nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. And then again in Proverbs 30, in five and six, it says, every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. <laughs> and so the word of God is finished and so if all these things are true about the word of God, then, then that means that the word of God, the Bible, should have a significant and deep impact on our lives, on my life, on your life. And so really the confusion and difficulty today is not what the Bible says. It is with how we choose to interpret it or what we want it to mean. That's where we run into the problems. It's not what the Bible says, because really, there, there are maybe a few passages that are difficult to understand, and we're not really sure how to take them. But the vast majority of the Bible is clear, is very specific and easy to understand. 
But, but the problem is, is that through sleight of hand or outright rebellion, we act as if they say the opposite or they just don't exist at all. And we kind of go on doing our own thing. See, as individuals, we tend to believe the parts of the Bible that we're doing and we dismiss the parts that we're not doing. That's just the easiest way to live life happily, isn't it? To only recognize the things that you're good at or that you agree with and ignore the things that you're bad at or that you don't agree with. It's, it's interesting that, that, that we, we find so many different ways to, to deal with, with that. We, we can say, well, the Bible doesn't really mean this. It really, you know, it's not, it's not really serious about this. And I mean, one of, one of the big debates in our society today has to do with understanding what the Constitution is in, in, in our country. There's those who will argue very passionately that the founding fathers wrote the Constitution and they wrote it and what they said in it is binding for all time. And what they said is what they said, and that's what they meant. And there's others who just as passionately will argue that the Constitution is kind of a, 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 an evolving document, that the founding fathers wrote what they knew of and what they were exposed to during that time, but they didn't know what would happen in the future, and so it's something that needs to be adjusted over time. And if you wanna get into a spirited conversation, just bring that up in a group of people. <laughs> And it will, it will go very fast. <laughs> but what's interesting to me about that is how much more important is that we recognize the Bible for what it is than we recognize the Constitution for what it is. How much more important is, that, is it that we recognize what God said in his word and what that means and what he intended by that then we get the Constitution right. Because one thing has temporal consequences, the other has eternal consequences. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna start reading in 17, in verse 17. And, and if, if, it's, if it's accurate that the Bible is true and the Bible is powerful, and the Bible is God's word and, and, and all of those things and that it is, it is authoritative for my life, then I wanna read to you a passage of scripture and then zoom in a little bit. In, in, in Ephesians, uh, uh, Paul writes this. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's talking to a group of believers at Ephesus who have become Jesus followers, disciples of Jesus, and, and there's some st struggle between how they're living and how they ought to live based on what the Bible says. And so he writes, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. 
Now listen to what he says now. He says, he says, look, this is what you are called to do by Christ himself. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak in truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put far away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so here's, here's what I wanna look at because if we really believe what we claim to believe about the Bible, it is important that we then are characterized by these things because this is what the Bible says that we should be putting on. So it says there, it says in verse 25, it says, put away falsehood and put on speaking the truth to one another. So, so how often do you see in your life, in your context, that you have put off any falsehood and, and really only speak the truth? And not only does he give a, take something off and put something on, but he gives the reason why. Why do we speak the truth to one another? Because he says we are members of one another. We are connected and we've got to be truthful with one another and honest instead of falsehood. Does that characterize it? Does it look like we as a community have put off falsehood? Second thing he says, he says, in your anger, do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, he says, look, pursue, pursue uh, solutions to your anger. Do not just sit there and be angry and angry and angry and frustrated and let that grow. He says, basically, look to, 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 to solve those conflicts between one another. And it's interesting the why he gives because a lot of times we can think, well, it's unhealthy for me to be angry all the time or it's important for me, I know, I know, I know, it's important for me not to just live in anger and you know, God says, don't be angry and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So be, be committed to solutions. Here's why. He says, don't give the enemy an opportunity. Here's what happens when you sit in your anger. You participate with the devil, giving him opportunity in your life and in the situation. That's why we can't live in anger toward another person. Because even if you feel good about that anger, you are literally giving the enemy an opportunity. Then he says, let the thief no longer steal, but do hard work with your own hands. No matter what society tells us, we are called to be people who are hard workers. We are called to work for what we get. 
We are called to not take what doesn't belong to us, but to work. And what's interesting, the reason that he gives is why? So that you can get everything you want. He says so that the person, so that you will be always ready for the opportunity to help a person who has needs. God says, no, no, don't steal, don't be a thief, but work hard, put in your own labor so that you can be ready to meet the needs of those who are, who are suffering and struggling and facing hardships. Then he said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but, but only that that builds others up. Why is it important to be speaking language that builds other up. And, and I, I'll say that, at least from my perspective, there's a lot of corrupting talk coming out of our mouths. And there's a much smaller degree of building others up. But you know what it says? The reason why we do that is because when we don't build each other up, when we don't speak compassionately toward each other, when we speak corruptingly about one another, that it grieves the Holy Spirit. Every time you speak corruption, the Holy Spirit grieves. Every single time. And then he kind of finishes by saying, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take a little bit of personal liberty here. Go out on a limb. This is maybe a little bit of eisegesis, but I think what Paul was talking about there was stay away from all social media. That's what I think. <laughs> that could be wrong, but I think, I think I nailed it. I think, I mean, let's be honest. If I were to define social media, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, pretty solid definition. And, and he says, put away all that. And he says, put on kindness towards one another, being tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And again, the reason why he says we do this is because that's exactly what God did for us. God had every right to pour out his wrath, to be angry with us, God can't slander us because everything he would say is true. <laughs> but instead of that, God treated us with kindness, tenderhearted, and offers us forgiveness. And so the reason why we act that way toward others is because God has done that toward us. And so I guess my question about this passage is, how much, if we believe the Bible, do we reflect what the Bible says? You see, here's the thing about God. Last week, we talked about the king. We talked about Jesus as king. And here's what we need to understand is that kings do not give advice, they give orders. Obedience to God's word is not optional. If we see God's word as optional, then we are not recognizing God as king. And, 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 so, and so really, it's interesting how, how so often we ignore God's word in our lives. We get little snippets here and there, but we really don't pursue it in the way that it seems like we should if it is what it says it is. 
In fact, some people actually believe that going to church once or maybe less, maybe less a week should result in the abundant life that Jesus promises, which we like that part of the Bible. But if it doesn't result that way and we put minimal effort, we see the problem is with God and his faithfulness and his goodness. Well, let's just think about that for a second. Let's say that for the sake of argument that, that a person spends 15 minutes a day in the word of God, which maybe for many people, that's almost generous. Let's also say that same person spends two hours a day watching the news, which honestly, watching the news, regardless of what we watch, is just biased opinion or vicious agenda. (laughs) How can that person and their heart and their mind truly be set on the kingdom if that's how much they expose themselves to God's word and how much they expose themselves to other ideas, agendas, and kingdoms? So what do we do? How, how can we raise the influence of God's word and our, our understanding of God's word to the place where it deserves? I've got three suggestions for you this morning. And the first one is a practice. And that is this, consistently engage scripture. Some of you have a reading plan. We, we, we invited the church in together to a reading plan last year, and many of you are, are still doing that, and that's awesome. Here's, here's a suggestion of maybe how, if you say, you know, it's just really hard for me to get to the Bible reading. Here's a suggestion. Take a Bible, a physical Bible, put it on your nightstand, and open it. Because an open Bible is much more difficult to ignore than a closed one. And in the morning when you wake up, before you grab your phone or anything else, grab that open Bible on your nightstand and begin to read it until something challenges you or encourages you. That may be for three minutes, that may be for 20 minutes. But read it until something challenges you, you know that you need to work on or that encourages you something you can take and go with for the rest of the day and take that challenge or encouragement and make sure you continuously reflect on that for the rest of that day. The second thing is is to read and I, and I recommend a book. It's a book that probably every seminary student ends up at some point having to read. It's called uh, How to Study the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart. It is a fantastic book to help you engage the Bible because it talks about how we approach God's word and how we can study it so that we understand what God is saying, not what we want it to say. It's not a light read, I'll, I'll, I'll warn you there, <laughs> but it's worthwhile to help us to engage God's word the way he wants us to engage it. And then finally, there's the third thing, something to do. Every time that you interact with scripture, whether it was this morning, whether it's on your own as you're reading the Bible, or whether it's a verse that you see somewhere. Every single time you engage the Bible, ask yourself, if this is true, what must I do to obey? If this is true, what must I do to obey? And and, and I think if if we even do those three things, 
that will move us in a direction where we will have we will have so, a so much greater understanding and a submission and surrender to God's word and, and we will understand God's kingdom so much better if we begin to give the word of God the attention that it deserves. And so this morning, I, I wanna invite, if, if you this morning need prayer, if you need someone to pray for you, you need to talk to someone, the prayer team will be up um, as, I, as I close in prayer this morning. And if you're watching online, if you're with us live stream, then you can text 5210181 and someone today will get back with you to, um, to pray with you, to talk with you, to, to hear from you. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come before you and thank you so much for your love. And God, the way that you have, have, have been so clear in revealing your character and your call to us. Father, I pray that we would give you and your word the attention that it deserves. Father, there are so many things that are vying for our focus that we so easily and so often forget about the one thing that is always true doesn't need to be fact-checked. The one thing that is sufficient for anything that we are dealing with. And the one thing that is definitive for our lives when it comes to living in a way that honors you and invests in eternity. God, I pray that we would, we would be overwhelmed with a sense of urgency for your word. Father, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity we have to seek you together. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.